Hello, good morning everyone. So straight into today's podcast, which is going to cover three studies. Uh, the first study is to talk about, uh, this is something called Alexia Thema. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, is that the key to emotional eating? So what do we define as emotional eating? Most people would say it's something along the lines of eating when you have bad feelings, like sadness, anger, anxiety, that kind of thing. But scientists ask that and think maybe it's a bit more complicated. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not just the presence of negative emotions, but the in- inability to deal with emotions in general in a healthy way. That is what Alexia Thema means. So it means no words for mood. Describes when a person has difficulty noticing their feelings. It's not thought of as a disorder, but rather as a subclinical phenomenon. Okay? So what's happening here is is when you, if you go to a therapist, whatever, the first thing they, they really do is to help you notice your feelings and maybe maybe call them out. So it's like I'm noticing I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit anxious. I'm noticing I'm feeling a bit sad. Um, noticing, describing, being aware is kind of one of the first key points to it, right? So there was a systematic review where they looked at this topic and they wanted to see if there was a relationship between literally not being able to explain your emotions at all and, and emotional eating. And the study is interesting. So, after analysing a group of nine studies about emotional eating and alexiathema, the researchers concluded people who scored highest on alexiathema, remember that just means can't name emotions, no words for them, assessments seem to be more likely to struggle with emotional eating. Pretty straightforward uh, finding that. So really the two things the scientists come out with are saying, uh, if you have problems identifying your emotions, you will have problems sensing when you're hungry, full. You'll have problems identifying between craving and hunger because there's a big difference. You'll have a lot of different, you, you, you're essentially in a confused state. And the response to the emotional arousal, no matter what it is, negative, positive, is eating for a lot of people. And because there's something in, inside they don't know how to deal with or maybe they can't explain, they turn into eating, right? And there's another the other theory is probably more accurate is that when people with who have who have got alexithema who don't really know how to understand their emotions at this point, they do use eating as a way to feel bad uh, to cope with feeling bad. So you feel weird, maybe is a word, and then you eat because you're feeling a bit weird, and then because you've eaten because you didn't really want to, you feel worse about yourself, and then you feel worse again. You don't really know why, or it's like, it's very complicated, and then it's a loop, right? It's a reinforcing loop, um, which is an ideal, which was an ideal. So the first thing today is really to, again, it all comes down to this mindfulness stuff, right? Is can you today, and this is where Ryan Williams talks about journaling on the Sunday calls, Dean talks about journaling, everyone talks about journaling. It's not just wishy-washy stuff have a notepad with you, and when you feel hungry or craving, whatever that feeling is, uncomfortable, try and explain in words, notes, to journal it. The chances are, if you've eaten in the last two hours and it's been a decent meal, you're not hungry, in the sense your body doesn't require the nutrients right now, in a sense. We can see, we can maybe go along with that. So it's craving. Now, what is craving? Explain what you're craving. Why are you craving food? Write it out. I am craving a chocolate bar because chocolate bars feel really nice. I really love them. And if I feel a bit of pleasure because I'm a bit bored or I'm just feeling uncomfortable, it's going to make me feel better because I'll have something nice that I can always turn to a reliable thing. You know, write it all out, start understanding, and then maybe we can start dealing with um, 
the emotional eating type of problem that nearly every single person listening, including me, will have uh, to different degrees. So recognizing and calling out feelings will get easier over time. And there is the um, emotional spoke wheel thing you can look at with all the different types of feelings and you can look into it, it's quite good. Um, so maybe we do a session with Dean on that because I think it's important. Now, the another study I'm looking at is research looking at uh, stress as a badge of honor. Stress as a badge of honor mindset. So the people that love being stressed, they'll say, oh, I'm so stressed, but they'll thrive off it. We all know people like this, right? We all know people like this. And the really, what this research is looking at is, do people that have this mindset of stress as a badge of honor actually deal with stress better and are less stressed? Do you know what I'm saying? So maybe they can handle more stress and they love the stress because they feel alive from it, but actually don't actually feel that stress from it. So they've got stress as a good thing and it's very different, right? So stress as a badge of honor, according to the researchers, is the belief that a high workload is impressive and both personally and socially valued. It means that a good human being right so let's look at four other things we need to look at here before we go into the uh, study snapshot is relaxation remorse is a term the discomfort and guilt someone might feel in the absence of stress for example when they take time off work sleep in or put their phone on do not disturb they can't be relaxed they gotta be doing something okay they feel worse they feel bad discomfort and guilt stress is an achievement when someone sees their high workload as a sign of importance Stress-related social comparison, a tendency to compare one's workload to the workload of others. For example, someone might come in earlier or stay later because they notice co-workers or their boss doing the same. When I first worked in London in 2016 in the job, everybody did this and it was, oh my God, it was so shocking to see how people just staying in for hours after their, after 5 p.m. just so people thought they're doing more work. It was just bizarre, very bizarre. No one was actually doing any more work. Stress-related impression management. When someone attempts to create a social image of themselves being a hard worker. By the way, all of these humble brags about time spent at the office, they're examples of S-R-I-M. All right, let's have a look and study 752 Amazon workers. 54% male, 46% female, average age 35. Education, 38% degree, 26% uh, some college, average weekly work hours 42. So what does the study find? Does seeing stress as a badge of honor tank your health? Well, people who ranked high for stress as an achievement reported less perceived stress and people in high, people high in stress-related impression management reported fewer overall health problems from the researchers. So remember, people who have got stress-related impression management, the people that brag about working long hours, they love it. And the stress, the over, the the working, isn't correlated with more. It's got actually fewer overall health problems, right? So you might think now, okay, well, I need to be one of those people. I need to be a person that's like, I love the stress, bring it on. And again, the perception is important here. Like the perception of how you see stress does change a lot internally. So hating, dragging your feet through each day, oh, I gotta go to the gym, I gotta get my steps in, I gotta eat good food, you know, that's gonna cause you stress because you're literally dragging your feet through. But it's not all good news for stress heads. The badge of honor mindset harmed emotional, social, and physical health when people also experience a high degree of relaxation remorse. Remember, relaxation remorse in the research was the people that feel guilty for doing nothing. 
So according to the researchers, a relaxation remorse would be expected to be negatively related to recovery experiences because relaxation remorse may result in fewer breaks or simply breaks that are less replenishing. Rule of thumb is, if you're going to be a lazy git, be a lazy git 100%. If you're on the couch watching TV, watch that TV show with all your might, you know? Don't be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be on the couch, maybe I should be doing this. You shouldn't, should, 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 all that nonsense is going to cause stress. So you, you either sit down, you're going to do the work, or you sit down and chill out. Just do them and enjoy them, whatever that one may, may be. If you're in a stressful environment because there's a lot of workload, hit, you know, boom, that's the obstacle is away. Let's bring her on. This is high stress. Let's go. I'm alive. Let's hit there. It's going to be tough. I'm going to have to work my ass off. I need to get it done. Everyone, let's go. Bring a positivity to it. Different perception definitely is, well, it's in the study reported the perceived uh, less stress as an impact on overall health but relaxation remorse we need to get rid of that you need to be a lot of you are going to have this because a lot of you are runners now a lot of you are doing eight nine ten workouts a week and if you're not doing a workout you get relaxation remorse let me tell you if you're not recovering you're not going to be gaining it's as simple as that simple as that thursday's seminar for the gold members and above we're doing performance seminar on it's going to be talking about the latest research on more you should be doing and also energy availability a lot of you are going to be really low on energy availability and it's going to cause a lot of problems for you so we need to really look at rest as rest is growth the sports industry nutrition athletes have known this you know for decades but when it comes to the average person such as us we're just trying to live a healthier life and trying to do some things of course we we tend to think well it's got to be more, it's got, we've got to be doing to 9, 10, 11 workouts. There's a famous bodybuilder, Dorian Yates, like, he was called The Shadow from Birmingham, I think it was. In the 90s, he came out of nowhere and won Mr. Olympia like seven times in a row. And his training technique was um, high-intensity training, but he would do two warm-up sets and one working set. So he would just literally do three sets on the chest, all out, and he'd be done. And then he'd do it again. He didn't believe he needed to be in there for long. He would spend most of his time resting, but when he did his sets, it was 100% as heavy as he could go, job done. Then he was relaxing and resting. So interesting how, you know, some different uh, different techniques, but a lot of it's based on uh, being able to relax. And you have to relax with, um, with, with anxiety and stress as well. So if you look at people who are very stressed and they take muscle relaxants, and then they, they start to relax their muscles and the tension, the anxiety drops off. You know, there is a big... I, well, I think so. There's a big connection between when you're stressed and anxious and you're not resting, you, you're always tense. And you've got a tense body. It's very hard to be relaxed mind. The body and the mind are very interlinked, aren't they? So we need to have, have those relaxation periods. Um, so yeah, that was that's really, really it. If we look at what stress looks like recovery-wise, it's good nutrition, regular sleep, gentle movement, Social connections can help a lot as well. Positive emotions, time in nature and mindfulness, those are big ones. Um, and if you want to get more stressed and really mess up your recovery strength performance, uh, have poor nutrition, have low energy intake, intense exercise all the time, work stress all the time, relationship stress all the time. Caregiving is a big factor because that's a lot of stress. And I've been kind of in that zone few months now um, financial stress big one loneliness negative emotions environmental stress alcohol and drug use illness and injury a lot of that's going to give you negative stress 
a lot of that can't be fixed straight away, you know, and that, that, that's the thing. Which leads me on, actually, to the third study I want to talk about, which is an interesting one, uh, and the study is about the uh, genius of tiny goals. Now, if you've been a Turtle member for a while, you know we've gone into habits with Atomic Habits, then we went to the gold gold standard habit book, Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. Tiny ha- And if you've done the 14-day masterclass, you know this is built on the concept of tiny goals. Um, but this research is interesting. So when you look at it, it's like eat a thousand vegetables in a year, you go, probably not, mate. No offense, like, I'm not going to do it. But if you said, have three pieces of veg a day, might be more possible. And if I said 300 veggies a year, you'd still go, gosh, shut up, mate. No. But if I said one piece of veg a day, you might go, yeah, right. You know, it's not too hard. I'll do that. So we have to break things down. We have to break things down to the tiniest part. This reduces procrastination because the thing you've got to do requires so little effort. It's easy to do. So it's kind of, oh, you, the, the chance you can do is way higher. Boosts your confidence, doing small things, done, job done, tick box. And increases buy-in as well. Who wants to jump into a massive life-changing thing? Knowing it won't work because it's too much to handle. Right? So we need to do short-term goals. And we need to do micro-goals, micro-tasks. So this study by the University of Pennsylvania Walton School, as well as Harvard Business School, set out to find the goal-setting sweet spot. So this wasn't just nutrition and stuff, it was just goal-setting. So they basically had a control group. Uh, 9,000 people were split into three groups. The control group were told, you need to volunteer for 200 hours a year. That's it, that's all I said to them. Just go and get 200 hours done a year. Um, the other group was said, right, do eight hours every two weeks. And then the other group were four hours every week, right? So you add the 200-hour target, which is big, but then the other eight hours every two weeks, four hours every week. Both the experimental groups, eight hours every two weeks and four hours every week, destroyed the 200 control group um, by 9.2% and 8.4% more volunteer hours, right? So the four-hour group was the best, so 9.2%, and then the 8.4% for the... uh, eight-hour group, or things the other way around. Um, really, what this is, what, what that kind of looks a weight loss is like, some of you might say, I've got 50 pounds to lose, right? And you go, fast, 50 pounds, a lot, maybe some 100 pounds, 100 pounds to lose. But if we focus on one pound a week, or just on average, two to three pounds a month, right? If you looked at it in a monthly, not just weekly, you need to just focus on daily stuff. Like daily stuff, I'm not going to lose all the weight day to day, but if I just do steps today, okay, and I do I go for one walk today and I start there, or I track my breakfast today, I start there, I do that workout for 10 minutes, I start there. Each day you start building on that, and then the tiny things add up long term. So saying 50 pounds is a lot, but one pound a week, that's not too bad. One pound a week is doable, and after 50 weeks, it's job done. Lost 50 pounds, right? I think it's important, and you've got to be flexible as well. You're not going to have, I, um, I can't remember who sent it to me. Um, one of my members sent me a video to watch. It was, And it's kind of what I've said before as well. It's uh, this, was it a coach or athlete? It's like, I go by the rules of three thirds. One third of my, tra- one third of my days are going to be bang on, amazing class. Another third are going to be average, kind of amber, orange. They're going to be quite good. I'm going through the motions. And one third of my days are going to be red. Terrible shit. It's just not going to go to plan at all. And I think that's how we should look at our goals as well. If we look at one pound a week loss, maybe one or two weeks, you can do that. One week, 
hey, you've got wedding. Sorry, you're gonna eat cake. You're gonna have a lot of drinks. You know, that's how it is. Then another week, you've got loads of social events. I'm sorry, that's just life. She's like, well, I've had two greens, one amber and one red. And you ask, fine, that's life. And then you go through, and you go through another month and another month, and you have a few more greens. You know what I mean? You have these green days and you have the other weeks. And that's how life is. But we get there eventually. Just remember this fact. The more you try and lose weight quickly, the, the higher the chance you're going to lose weight for the rest of your life. L- trying to lose weight for the rest of your life. Some of you listening to this are in your 40s, 50s, some in your 60s. You've been trying to lose weight since you're in your 20s. The reason is you're seeing things as I'm going to do this and then I'm going to not go back to my normal self. I'm going to do a diet. You have to change your lifestyle. Your lifestyle equals over time the byproduct of your lifestyle is you. Does that make sense? Me, my body, my um, habits, my day-to-day, my whatever, is the product of my lifestyle over the last how many ever many years. Some years might have had a bigger impact on my lifestyle, some others may not. But my lifestyle equals my output. Right? My lifestyle includes walking, a lot of reading, a lot of working, training three, four times a week, and I tend to eat moderately most of the time so for me the my the byproduct that is my body is relatively lean not super shredded at all but like you know in the moderate lean zone which is fine by me i don't to get leaner is going to be more difficult for me i tend to read a lot of books as a byproduct of reading every day i tend to have a lot of work done on the businesses i work on because i work on them every day you know and i tend to learn a lot to know a lot of stuff because i'm learning every day the byproducts of that, I don't know exactly where the byproducts are going to take me, but those are the byproducts of my lifestyle. What are the byproducts of your current lifestyle? Ask yourself this what is your current lifestyle, and really, what's the byproduct of it physically, mentally, work wise? You know, are you not doing any reading at all? Well, how do you expect to learn anything new as a byproduct of your lifestyle? You know, I'm not going to read for two weeks and stop. It's pointless. Reading is me. Walking is me. Training is me. And then people asked Alan Schwarzenegger this question. They were like, how come you're still training in your 70s? Like, He was like, how come you eat food? <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, good point. You know, like he sees training to him as eating food. It's, that's essential. It's, that is him. It's part of him. There is no debate do I train or not. Don't get me wrong. I love the gym sometimes. But it's part of me to do the exercise, to train. It's part of, I know, I don't always get to read so much of it, but it's part of me intrinsically requires me to do it now, to read, you know, and just all that other stuff. So think about your lifestyle now. What is really part of you, good and bad, and how can we go about changing our lifestyle and starting in a tiny way? And you're going to love the new Octagon Challenge starting uh, when in the first week of March. More details will be posted in about two or three weeks, but that is all about you're going to have a daily task to follow for eight weeks. It's going to be a mix of tasks by myself, Ryan. So you'll have tasks by Ryan, some basic tiny activity stuff. Mastering the bird dog. You know, going for a two to three minute run. Dean will ask you to answer one question about your mindset. Small bits. And over eight weeks, you know, those micro tasks to complete. You can have brand new workouts to complete on top. You can have all these tasks in your app. You can have the ability to program your own workout path. For the entire eight weeks. If you're going to be a runner, you'll have a running plan in the app. 
work up you'll have it all laid out for you but it will all come back down to the daily tasks the daily micro tasks and that's going to be the differentiator between getting eight going through like a massive amount of work in eight weeks or seeing it as one day at a time not problem at all i can't believe we did all our eight weeks that's what's going to happen right so make sure you see things that way and hopefully this podcast was useful and any questions do let me know but again let's bring it back to the tiny tasks today do a tiny thing and momentum will build and it only takes a few days of momentum to start feeling on top of the world again promise all right speak soon